Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Michael Hendricks. He is the CEO and founder of Sure Hosting Internet Solutions, and he's one of the 25 under 25 winners that we will be celebrating in a couple of weeks. Very excited to have him and his company as part of the class of 2018. He's got a fascinating story, uh, just knew from a very early age that he was going to spend his life working with computers. I'll let him tell that story. Uh, He's gone on to work in a variety of positions before deciding to found Sure Hosting Internet Solutions. Welcome to the show today. We're happy to have you here, Michael. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Like I said, you have such a great story. I'm not even sure where to start. So I guess we'll go back, way back to when you were about seven years old and your family gave you what you said was the greatest gift of all. Tell us about what led up to that and why what you got was such a great gift. Well, my dad came home into the living room uh, one night and I had torn apart. uh, Well, uh, in my mind, I see it as very meticulously reverse engineered the family. Computer. Uh, and after having children, I'm sure it was torn apart, the family's computer, had it all strewn across the living room floor. And um, my dad gave me a very short amount of time to put it back together and say, you know, it better work when I come back. Um, and I was very excited, like, look, I think this is where the data stores, and look, I think this is where. And I now, as a father, have a great deal of respect for my dad because. I think he was ready to, um, to to light me up when he saw what I had done, and <laughs> instead he just removed himself from the room and and was like, "It better work when I come back." But I put it all back together, and it worked. And wow, that that Christmas uh, there was a fairly large box under the tree, and they got me a a uh, well, I won't say what type of computer because that will date me. But uh, there was a computer under the Christmas tree, and the contractual obligation, there was an actual contract, uh, was that I was to never touch the family computer again because that's how mom and dad made their income. And so it was, here's a computer. You can tinker with it. You can tear it apart. You can rip it apart. You can do whatever you want with with it because that's your computer. But you're not to touch the family computer again. Um, <laughs> as we fast, Sorry, as we fast-forwarded, um, that kind of, there was um, lapses in that agreement as I got better and better because it was, you know, mom saying, hey, uh, can you come help me with this? And I became that kind of go-to in-house IT resource as I got older. Mm-hmm. And th- so this all started when you were seven, ripped apart the family computer. They gave you one for Christmas with the agreement that you would never touch the family computer again. But then, wow, you, you knew so much that they turn to you to solve some problems, and then you continued that. That that just became your career. Tell us a little bit about some of the positions that you held before you decided to go out on your own. Well, and I, I really have to, uh, again, attribute a lot of that to my dad. He spent a lot of time early on with me. I was like, Dad, I want to learn to program like you do. And he said, okay, I'll take some time and teach you. And that first night, I was like, I want to learn to program, so teach me. And he's like, 
what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I want to program. He goes, no, what do you want the computer to do? And I'm like, well, I didn't think about that. He's like, okay, next week when I sit down with you, have a plan, like what you want to accomplish. And so at a very young age, he taught me concepts like engineering and problem solving and, you know, coming up with a plan and how to break that down. And so we spent a lot of time engineering solutions around technology, and then he showed me how to implement those and actually write the code. So from a very early age, it wasn't just, here's how to write programs. It was, here's how to approach designing a solution to solve the problem you want to solve. Just from the very first time, Dad worked with me. And so at a very young age, way too young, 16, I got a job in IT and healthcare. And I think I was better prepared because of that approach instead of it just being, hey, I'm a kid that knows computers. Uh, my whole philosophy around technology was an engineering philosophy. How are we using technology to solve problems in a very methodical way? And in healthcare, you really can't make mistakes. And no. that, that really helped prepare me and I think set me a little ahead of where I might have been at my age. And I'm really grateful to my father for that, helping mentor me more than just say, now you're a kid, you're smart with computers, because that was part of it. But then having a framework to plug that into, to plug that drive into, into more of an engineered philosophy, if that makes sense. And there's a lot of people out there with the title, you know, computer engineer, but I don't know that a lot of us have that true engineering philosophy. And dad gave that to me, and I think that was a, a gift. And so... As I moved through my career in healthcare and financial, uh, the financial space, working for companies of Silicon Valley and building a lot of um, the technology that is a lot more relevant today, um, that engineering philosophy really is, I think, what made the difference for me from just being a kid that knew a lot about computers to being someone who was able to have a career and really stay on kind of the bleeding edge of creating solutions and solving problems rather than just, you know, being good at computers. Sure. And when did you decide that, you know, after working in the healthcare fields and the financial industry, when did you decide it's time to make the leap? When did the entrepreneurial bug bite you? Oh, boy, it wouldn't have been about 14 years ago. So, Um, and I think it was just a little bit of seeing the need and a little bit of, you know, tired of my boss you know, not quite having what I thought was the perfect solution and um, wanting to to stake out on my own. And I saw a need for everything out there was very cookie cutter. And no business in the world is cookie cutter. And technology is such an amazing, uh, just an amazing tool. And I kind of the the thing I like to say is, you know, we put little cars on Mars, we drive them around and take pictures. And then businesses struggle to make technology work for them. And so uh, as I was looking around, it was this very profound, I think, moment for me where I go, technology should not be so challenging for businesses that, you know, we almost become beholden to the altar of technology that we have to go sacrifice and pay our dues to it um, instead of it paying us back, instead of it accelerating our, our our companies and our businesses. And so... I wanted to do better than just kind of the the gray, bland, boring technology. 
and and make technology really part of the mission of businesses that helps accelerate it and and have it go forward. And so, um, it's been, you know, a a fun challenge to kind of figure out, you know, because that leads into the challenge of how do you do that at scale when you are trying to do something that isn't cookie cutter. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and you've been quite successful at that. One of the reasons you have been so successful is the team that you have been able to pull together. And you have a specific philosophy about training your employees that is born out of, of all things, your love of flying helicopters. Talk to us about that. So another gift from my father, um, come from an aviation family. My dad flew uh, fixed-wing aircraft, airplanes for a while, and then he converted over to helicopters. And so I was exposed to flying my whole life. And about 20 years ago, um, had the opportunity to start learning to fly. And um, about six years ago, uh, my dad actually uh, started to train me to fly. He's a flight instructor. And actually started to train me to fly helicopter and it's one of the most amazing experiences I've had in my life but it's completely overwhelming um a helicopter unlike an airplane like in an airplane if you take your hands off the controls it tends to want to fly it'll balance itself out and, and stabilize in a helicopter you are the only thing keeping it in the air and if you take your hands off the controls it falls out of the sky and so you're I'd equate it to balancing on a bowling ball with your eyes closed and your hands tied behind your back. You're just always, you know, flying this thing. And so it's been an amazing experience. But I had this really profound moment. I had about 60 hours of experience, which um, the funny thing about pilots is we covet our time flying so much that we log our time in our logbook down to like 0.1 hours. I had 62.1 hours. And... (laughs) It's like no other time in the world matters to us, right? And, you know, I had 62 hours or so, and and my instructor, uh, we're out flying, and my instructor says, all right. Uh, And he endorses my logbook, and he gets out, and he says, uh, all right, you know, go ahead and give me a couple, uh, go ahead and give me a couple flights around the pattern, and, you know, we're going to do your solo today. And, I mean, I knew it was coming, and it's part of the process of learning, but, you know, I was ready for it, and he gets out of the helicopter, and I go fly the helicopter and fly around the pattern and, and fly around the airport and do the, work the radio, and we had been building up to that and training for that. And it when I got out of the helicopter and, and changed my pants and did what I needed to do, um, <laughs> the uh, it dawned on me that I had less than a week and a half of experience related to, like, a new employee. I had right. 60 hours of experience, and I had just, by myself, operated a complex aircraft in a controlled airspace, communicating with the tower. I was prepared for an emergency. If the engine had failed, we had prepared for emergency landings, 200 emergency takeoff and landing procedures, uh, you know, testing them, like go up, or, you know, simulate an engine failure and land and land and land. We, we would go out and do... 20 or 30 of those a day over and over and over. So I didn't feel like if something went wrong that, you know, it wasn't like if everything goes right, I won't die today. I was prepared. And 
when I got back and I started talking to my leadership team, the, the, just what I started to just ramble like I am now. And I was like, we are training our employees entirely wrong because the way we train our employees, we've been very open with our employees and very approachable with our employees. And we're like, we're, we're always going to sit here with you. Like if there's ever an emergency, you call us and we'll be there for you and we'll help you. And, and we're always here for you. And, and I'm like, as a pilot, I want to be prepared and I want the instructor to get out of the, out of the aircraft because I want to be in control and I want to fly. I don't always want my instructor to be there with me. Mm-hmm. And at some point we had to cut the cord. And right. I think with our employees, it, we of course want to empower our employees. I think what was very profound to me was the fact that we got there in 60 hours with a helicopter, which is an incredibly complex aircraft. And I wasn't terrified for my life. And it made me start to go back and evaluate how we were training. Were we doing emergency procedure training? Because we always had that customer that would call and it's like, well, if so-and-so calls, just transfer him to me. And I go, why do I say transfer him to me? Well, are we preparing our employees to handle the emergency procedure? Well, you may not have, what if that, what if that customer yells today or he's in a bad mood? And I'm like, well, we're not being proactive with our employees and training them for what, as a business owner, I can foresee is an emergency in our business. And I'm not saying that you're going to hire an employee on Monday and by Tuesday the next week you're going to, like, hand them the keys to the building and say, all right, I'm out. Uh, But what I'm saying is it fundamentally shifted my philosophy around empowering my employees to say, I don't want to have, like, entry-level employees and mediocre employees and employees that are going to get there in five or six years. I want to have employees that own their job 100%, that if something exactly. goes wrong, uh, that I can rely on them to make the decision. Now, they may land in a place that me with more experience, I would have landed a little better. And one of the things we talk about in flying is, when you're doing like an engine out landing, which in a helicopter is a fairly intense activity. Um, but we kind of the, the saying is, well, you may not be able to use the helicopter again, but you'll walk away. And right. it, it shows the priority of, you know, you'll live even if you destroy the helicopter. And yeah. there are things in business back to risk management of, I want to prepare my employees where they're not terrified to show up to work because what if something goes wrong? And as I started engaging with my employees and empowering them, there were things I found that they're like, oh, I'm so glad to learn this because I was always afraid that that was going to happen. And it Mm -hmm. was interesting to me that my employees were very aware of where the pitfalls were. My employees were aware of what was going to happen that they were ill-equipped to deal with. Mm -hmm. And they wanted so badly to to have tools to fix that. And yeah, be able as to I handle was, it themselves, yeah. Yeah, and as I was going through and reading, you know, books by, you know, by Putnam on Southwest Airlines and stuff, and you, as a business owner, you read all these buzzwords, you know, like we hire for values, we train for skills. And I go, yeah, I do that. And then it dawned on me, like, I may not be training for skills at the level that is possible with my team. You know, we have a, right. a fantastic team of engineers, and it, do we go out and do 200 emergency procedure trainings in a row? And the answer was no. And so it shifted our mentality. 
And as yeah. we did those, as we did that training and stepped up our training game, everything else got easier. Our, our flying, if you will, got tighter. We became better pilots. Um, mm-hmm. Our awareness of the business became better. And so it was kind of a, a, a profound, uh, you know, picture that we went from saying things like, well, we're going to hire an employee, but it'll be six months before they really kind of get a handle on what's going on around here to saying, we better, we better be able to get that employee up to speed in weeks. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and how, like you say, it, what a, what a great, uh, what a great thing you did for yourselves, for the, uh, for the leadership team too, for your customers, I'm sure that the level of customer service increased as well. And then you and your leadership team could focus on the future. You could take that 30, here we go with the flight thing, a 30,000 foot up view of the company and chart its future as opposed to constantly being in the weeds, having to make the decisions that your employees can now make. Absolutely. And I, 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 we're so honored to win this 25 under 25 because it's a, it's a win for the team. But I think, I, I don't think three years ago we were ready. And it's very profound to me that, you know, the first year we were nominated, it, we won. And I think this is really the first year we were ready. And it's also the first year we've really embraced, you know, where we've been embracing this all in for all employees mentality, not, well, you know, we have leaders and then we have entry level people and we have where it's all employees all in all the time. And it's been interesting to see our customers are noticing. um, And it's really making a difference across the whole team. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, funny story, we've actually disbanded the leadership team because it kind of set, we're trying to have this philosophy of all in and then it kind of sets us, well, we're out on this pedestal. And, you know, we, we've rearranged the office where we all sit together. And so it started to have this profound impact. Um, we don't have offices anymore. And it's kind of had this profound impact on how we approach the business mm-hmm. to say, I don't want to reach over and take the control away from the employee because what I'm saying is you don't know how to do your job. Exactly, and Yeah. So, now, so it's had a very systemic uh, impact on the business. It's it's actually touching all parts of it, from even yeah. your seating arrangements. Yeah, and yeah. It, of course, as a as a pragmatic business owner, there are things in helicopter instruction that that apply too. Like, my instructor is going to grab the controls if we're about to die. He will not. Right. The reason the instructor is there is he's going to keep us safe. And as the C, as the executive, I look and I say, I'm not going to allow these things to happen, and I'm going to help. But but we're also going to prevent through training. We're going to create trainable scenarios, and we're going to create safe environments to train. And so we started to build labs. Um, a funny story I tell is, you know, we'll we'll have people call in and make requests. You know, for example, say, you know, hey, I'm so and so, and blah blah blah. You know, can you turn a server off and if they don't know the password, you know, they can't turn the server off. And we test the employees not to say, ha, we caught you, you're fired. We test the employees. That's a scenario that is likely to occur in our business. And so yes. if they make the mistake and turn a server off, you go, hey, just so you know, that's how it's likely to happen. And now you've seen it. Just like when I'm out flying and my instructor chops the throttle and he goes, that's what it feels like when an engine cuts out on you. Because mm-hmm. that's what it's 
going to feel like when you're with your family in your helicopter and the throttle, you know, and the engine goes on. Right. So it's not going to be exactly. this prepared three, two, one, are you ready? Okay. It's just going to happen. <laughs> and exactly. so in business, in business, sometimes things happen so quickly that if you're not prepared for it and your team isn't prepared for it, you don't have time to sit down and get the project plan and get the executive meetings and get the, you know, the long ranging plan. Sometimes it's your team's prepared for it or they're not. Mm-hmm. Well, and a similar thing happened to you early on in your journey. You said that you started this company 14 years ago, and then something happened with your business partner that you said really made things real, very similar to what you were just talking about. Uh, when these things happen, uh, sometimes you don't get warning. Uh, you just have to deal with it. Tell us about what happened and what you learned from it. Uh, my uh, business partner uh, at the time was diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer, and it was had a 0% survival rate. And the, the individual is my best friend from high school. And so he joined the business, and after we founded it, he joined the business, 50% owner, and you know, was helping. He was about 50% of our revenue as far as the workload that we were doing. And when uh, he was diagnosed, we had two issues. Uh, we had the personal issue, which was I'm losing my best friend. Um, we had supporting my best friend and, well, I guess three issues. And then we had the third issue, which was um, he was not able to deal with the reality of the situation. Um, mm. I'm going to fight this. I'm going to get through. Hey, when I come back to work. And, you know, the doctors were saying this has a 0% survival rate. There's no there is no survival. And I, I found myself on the line of we're going to lose the business. Um, or, um, you know, we're, we're going to lose the business, um, or we need to get this partnership taken care of. And we had all this stuff, you know, you know, when you start a business, get a buy sell agreement, get a partnership agreement, get all this. And I pull out the partnership agreement and I look at it and it was, it was written in better times, shall I say, you know, it was all boilerplate yeah. <laughs> and I'm looking at it going, well, this doesn't fit. And we worked with our attorney, um, who was absolutely a saint. Um, it really helped us move in a direction that, um, you know, I have no regrets, but we had to deal with dissolving the partnership while my best friend was dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had to take a stand of, you know, basically saying you're either going to buy me out of the business or I'm going to buy you out of the business. The partnership is done. Um, and when I was looking at it, I said, well, if if I'm able to deal with this and get through it, there's a chance I can rebuild the friendship. If we don't deal with it now, the business will die. And there's no chance I can rebuild that. And we have employees and we have this culture and we have all this stuff we've worked for um, and it will be gone. And uh, unfortunately, I never got the chance to make amends or or to rebuild the friendship, um, but the business is still here. And um, I think that that too is a testament to, it's not just my business. Uh, Steve was a part of that culture and part of that, that, you know, making this business a success. I think what I learned was that, well, 
lot that I learned was when you go into business, especially with friends or family, and, and so much of small business is friends and family because that's, Definitely. you spend so much time doing it that if you don't do it with friends and family, you wouldn't have a life. But you, everyone tells you, well, make sure you plan for that stuff up front. And back to the what I said about the, you know, we, we hire for attitude and train for skills. It all sounds good. And you go, yeah, we did that. You know, yeah, I have a buy-sell agreement. We have a partnership agreement. And it's almost this checklist stuff where you go, check, 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 check. And you're like, we're good until you, until I needed it. And when I really needed it, you know, when the, when the engine died and I, I pull out the, the thing that's going to save me and I look at it, I'm like, this is all wrong. This isn't what I need. Yeah. This isn't the yeah, tool that I need. Mm-hmm. It's boilerplate. Exactly. You know, this, this wasn't for my company. This wasn't for my partnership. This wasn't for my situation. And you know, so make sure that you really sit down because I think if I had not been, uh, you know, 14 years younger and stupider, um, I think we could have saved the friendship and the business. Um, and unfortunately, I had to pick one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe I made the wrong decision. We had, you know, when you go into business, that was the other thing I learned. When you go into business, you have employees and families that count on you. Yes. And yes. you have responsibilities and, you know, your customers count on you and you go, it's as a partner, you know, I feel that, you know, sadly my partner had started not putting the right priorities in the business where they needed to be. And you don't, you don't prioritize yourself over families that are going to need a you know payroll, for example. And so mm-hmm. he, it was a bad situation. I think just making sure that when you're, when you're working on those things like training or, you know, selection of attorney or any of those things, um, make sure you get it right up front, thinking about the actual worst case. If I had to sue my, my wife, if I had to, you know, if I had to dissolve a partnership with my best friend, if I had to, you know, what would that actually look like? And actually talk to the partner about it because it's kind of like, okay, buy, sell, check. It wasn't good enough for me. Right. And we got through it and, you know, uh, but it could have been a lot less painful. You know, you have so much to share and we are out of time (laughs) and I just want to make sure to get this in, though, that one of the overriding philosophies that you have is that technology, any investment that you make in technology should return to the bottom line. It shouldn't just be a pure cost. You should. It is an investment that provides returns. And with that said, anyone who would like to talk with you some more about your technology solutions or just talk with you more about your business philosophy, how would they get in touch with you? Do you have a website that has all of your information on it? Yeah, if they want to go to uh, probably the easiest way to find us, uh, our new website is www.appliedpath.com and has our contact information there um, and reach out. We're we're happy. Uh, Back to we're not technology people, we're business people. We love talking about flying and business and this kind of stuff. The technology comes after because the technology is just the tool. It's like going to a carpenter and you say, I want to build a house. You don't go to your carpenter and say, I want you to come with this many two by fours and this many hammers and this many nails. You go to him and say, I want a house and I want it to be beautiful mm-hmm. and this is what it should look like. And then he shows up with hammer and nails and two by fours and blah, blah, blah. And he builds you a house. Um, but 
that's not the philosophy you take with with a carpenter, and that shouldn't be the philosophy you take with technology. So, not at all. I think I think for nerds, we're pretty fun people, and you know, you just a fair warning: you probably won't get through a conversation with us without talking about helicopters once or twice. Uh, but you know, we love talking about business. We love learning about other people's business. It's a passion of ours, um, and we don't even have a sales staff because. We're just engineers and we love learning and learning new things. And, you know, the technology is an afterthought of if we can't accelerate a business, then the technology is useless. Like there's not even a sale to be had. So we're pretty easy going and pretty fun to talk to, I think. Michael Hendricks, Sure Hosting Internet Solutions. You can find more about the company at AppliedPath.com. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for sharing your philosophies and your history, your entrepreneurial journey. It's been fun. Great. Thank you for the time. Appreciate the opportunity. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.